Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. This podcast is brought to you by The Joyful Fashionista, an online marketplace for buying and selling secondhand and sustainable clothing. Make cash selling as you declutter or buy sustainable and fabulous fashion. Yuma Frugalisters and welcome. Today I have a special guest and of course all of my guests are special. Today we are going to talk about food security, something that is relevant to all of us, including those of us who are really struggling to pay for food at the moment. But first, I have a favour to ask of you. If you enjoy this podcast and find it useful for you, please pay it forward by sharing with a friend. And even better, please follow the Joyful Frugalister podcast. My guest today is Professor Le Coutre, who is a chemical engineer who is appointed Professor Food and Health at the University of New South Wales, UNSW. His research is based on cellular agriculture, that's a bit of a mouthful, with the aim of strengthening food security and alleviating the agricultural burden on the environment. Professor Le Coutre, and I've been told to call him Johannes, <laughs> hopefully I've got that right, holds a PhD in biophysics and has an extensive and impressive CV that includes working in the US, Switzerland, England and Tokyo. Prior to joining UNSW, in addition to his research activities, he served as the Secretary General for Nestle's Scientific Advisory Board and as coordinator of the International Nutrition Symposium, an annual event featuring world-leading scientists debating critical topics in food and nutrition. So I think it's fair to say that my guest today is a world-leading expert on food security. Welcome. Well, thank you, Serena, for having me. It's a, it's a great pleasure and thank you for the nice introduction. So I'm, looking, I'm really looking forward to, to our discussion now. So thank you. Well, so am I. And I really want to know why you're so passionate about food security. It looks like you have dedicated your life to this topic. So how did you get involved? So, so maybe, maybe just, just uh, with regard to, the, to your introduction in, by training, I'm actually not really a chemical engineer. I am a professor in the School of Chemical Engineering here at UNSW. Uh, which is great, but my background is that I started as a as a biologist, and uh, over the years I, I first was working on on photosynthesis during my PhD at the Max Planck Institute for Nutrition Physiology. I went then to UCLA to Los Angeles, where I looked into sugar uptake into cells, which is already some sort of cellular nutrition, if you want. And then, as you had indicated. For 20 years, I've been working at Nestle in Switzerland, and now here at UNSW, we are looking at cellular agriculture. Cellular agriculture is the whole idea of, well, growing cell-based cultivated meat is definitely one big part of it. But And that's a big thing right now. That's huge. Oh, it's huge, <laughs> it's huge for, for many reasons, and there are many angles to get into cellular agriculture. And and again, cultivated cultured meat is definitely one of the of the key topics here. But the overarching idea is definitely to drive a new form of domestication where we would not grow animals, but where we would grow tissues only from animals, and in particular those tissues that are being used. And you can actually do the same with plants as well. We never eat a 
whole tree, but we do eat apples that grow on the tree. So, so that's a little bit the idea of what we're doing here. And um, I can certainly illustrate how that will fit into the overarching food security topic. Again, food security is more than cellular agriculture. I'm teaching a lot. Um, we see I'm responsible for the UNSW food program. And we see that, that uh, our kids, uh, the, the students, high school students and first year students at university are very uh, uh, intrigued and very interested not only in saving the planet from climate change, but in particular in food security, in food-related matters, in uh, identifying the role food science can play to improve our world, to improve our planet. So, so that's that's uh, basically my background, and that's that's what we're doing here with the team at UNSW. I should say very clearly. Wow! It seems like you've been at the forefront from some amazing things, and just makes me realize how much things have changed in a sense. Like when I was growing up and going through university, when we thought about food security, it was famines, like particularly some of those awful famines that happened in Africa during the 80s and other areas. I would never have thought that in my lifetime, I would have seen food security in the country that I lived. But yet, it seems that food security is an issue that's now facing everyone. Well, food, food security uh, is positive. I mean, in, overall, the, the idea of food security is to have a metric that talks about food availability. We can, we can come to a definition of food security. Food security is a positive word, and we, we like to have food security. A more negative term on the other end of the spectrum would be food insecurity. Insecurity is clearly where, where hunger, where famines, where all of these problems will, will uh, come in, and we, we can talk about that. Before we really get started here, we talk about the definition. Clearly, food security is about making sure everybody has enough food to eat. And that there is there's a number of definitions from, let's say, FAO, for example, um, put together at the World Food Summit, uh, something saying that food security exists when all people at all times have physical and economic access to sufficient, safe and nutritious food that meets their dietary needs and food preferences for an active and healthy life. So the key words here are really access to safe, nutritious food and enough. Uh, you might want to add into this whole definition also affordable, but, but affordable sort of conceptually is covered by, by having, having the access. So if you have the access, you, you, you sort of will be able to afford it. But, but again, it's about access to safe, and nutritious food. And that's what, what provides food security. And if we had that, and of course, for all and at all times, if we, if we can uh, make that happen for everybody on this planet, I can tell you uh, the world will be a better place, very clearly. That sounds like you just have this amazing vision to want to make that happen. Do you think it's possible? Well, obviously, do you do because you're working in this, this space, but what are some of the sort of obstacles or issues alleviating food insecurity? Well, Food always has been has been uh, essential to life for every creature on this planet, right? Very clearly, we all need food, and and uh, the procurement of food is is the uh, uh, I mean, eating and procreation are the two biological fundamentals to keep keep species and any species going. So you need to you need to you need to eat and and um, Food security uh, in a 
complex industrialized world is not uh, just a given. And uh, we have we have uh, societies, we have economies, we have industries uh, involved in providing food for people in cities like Shanghai, well, Sydney, Tokyo, big cities where where we, we need to make sure or also rural areas where where we have the poorest of the poor uh, in uh, famine-stricken uh, uh, landscapes try to get food. So food security is not obvious. Maybe maybe we can say at this point still, it's actually an interesting comparison. I, I'm thinking while I talk or I'm... I, um, so, so maybe we can we can right now still say that breathing is something that is given. We have some sort of air security. Maybe one day that also will change. Who knows? But but food security is something that needs to be maintained actively, and um, so so uh, it is at risk. And um, with with the various different crises that we are seeing in our world, um, again. There are people who will come to suffer food insecurity, and then you go from food insecurity via malnutrition into undernutrition, into hunger, into acute hunger. So, so there is a continued spectrum of things uh, uh, going from from uh, good to to bad, um, and um, that's that's what we're interested in. I can tell you that over the past, up until the turn of the century. Over the past two to three hundred years, it had been very simple, the equation. The idea was to just add more calories would add more years to life. And adding even more calories would add even more years to life. And then by about the turn of, of the century in the 1990s or so, it became very, very clear that adding even more calories would uh, be detrimental and would do the opposite, would not be adding more years to life, but instead would take away years from life and would push people, markets, societies, communities into diabetes, overweight, obesity, all the way into, into cardiovascular disease, cognitive decline and these things. So, so what we need to do is we not only need to provide food, but we also need to provide good food. And, and that is clearly something the industry picked up upon, but also individual consumers need to see that we need to provide good food for consumers. And, and that's, that is and remains a challenge. And we are seeing a world overweight or a weight management crisis together with a uh, malnourishment crisis. So, so these things go together and, and the challenges are big depending on, on the geography you're in. I so relate to that. We've just come back from a trip to the US. Now, my husband and I are definitely not thin by any means, but I have never felt so thin in my life. But also it was a real challenge for us to eat when we were there. And I know you've lived in the US it's really difficult. So many foods have so many additives and you don't know how to get around that. In the end, I think we ended up shopping at Aldi because they had imported products from Europe. But that's not really affordable for everyone. I agree. So so I think just on a side note, Aldi, uh, I mean, that's interesting. Aldi in the US is Trader Joe's, no? Or do they by now have also Aldi? They, they also do have Aldi as well. The important thing is, the important thing to my eyes, I do hear a slight little... Um, I do hear a slight little 
accusing of the food that's out there, which is okay. And and there are there are uh, foods that maybe should not be recommended to consumers. But the important thing is also to give back responsibility and throw back responsibility onto the consumers, because because uh, we might find large portion sizes of extremely good and nutritious food. And if we eat all of this, even though it is good food, and even though it is maybe even without additives, and, and we, we do have issues with additives, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, putting this away, but, but uh, we need to, to work on weight management on both ends of the consumer understanding. So the consumers need to work and the, and the food producers as well to, to work on that weight management problem before that even on the on the food security problem and we should maybe really stick to to food security because the the weight management problem is is slightly a different one even though it's it's related yeah there's so many complex aspects to this and of course covid has just shaken things up as well the 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 way that the global supply chains were disrupted has i, I can imagine had a profound impact covid and again there are many theories and many stories out there where I would disagree with regard to COVID, but very likely, as, as you know, COVID seems to have originated in a food market in Wuhan. That much is, I think, a, a credible idea. And I think uh, we're, we're very close to really having evidence that's, that's what happened. So here you have food already. What COVID did, it locked up people for two years or, or two and a half years in, a, in a, their home environment and, and had restaurants close or had restaurants even go, go out of business. So COVID, COVID had, had a lot of impact. And I would not say on a molecular level, but more on a or molecular physiological level, but more on a behavioral level. It uh, turned active people into couch potatoes, for example. <laughs> It did maybe make people not go to the supermarket as often as they would want, but but COVID changed behaviors, and and that might or might not have had impact also on dietary patterns and eventually also food security. Yes, what we what we have seen, what we have seen, there were outbreaks of COVID, COVID outbreaks in meat processing factory farms, pronounced. Again, this is this is evidence based, and we can say that the environment in those factory farms, meat processing plants, might be very conducive for COVID outbreaks to take place, and that needs to change. And uh, again, this is not directly related to our topic here of food security, but that that is something that needs to change. COVID will will keep us thinking and keep us busy for still a while to come. And there are so many data, uh, many uh, scientists for generations will publish papers on, on uh, the global COVID pandemic. So I'm, I'm uh, happy also to revisit that in, in, in a future podcast. Well, there we go. You've invited yourself back and I would love to have you back. But moving on to 2022, we are living in changing times. I mean, I'm now able to travel. I've been overseas. But what are some of the other factors that are affecting food security this year? We have a few things in Europe, for instance, that are causing some instability. Um, well, clearly, clearly, um, uh, the, the the overarching topic uh, will always be uh, will always be climate change, 
I just happened also to have a, a, a very recent report on that food and climate change in front of me. Uh, without going into the details, I, I, I believe climate change is more of negative impact than the war in Ukraine. But clearly the war in Ukraine has a, has a very strong impact as well on food security currently. Keep in mind, Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe, and Ukraine is responsible for a majority of the of the together with Russia actually of the wheat exports into into Europe. But what what that uh, means is that that wheat as a as a global commodity that is traded globally will go up in price on global markets, and we will feel that here in Australia as well simply because those those prices go up. Now, now Ukraine is also a producer of sunflower oil and having war in Ukraine leads to, to blocked supply chains and to blocked uh, availability of, or to, to restricted, reduced availability of sunflower oil in global markets, which then in turn means that Many companies, many big food companies who switched from palm oil to sunflower oil are now switching back to palm oil. Now that's that's really bad. And we are seeing a similar problem. I will not go into this also with, with energy supply in European countries that the war in Ukraine has a profound impact on trying to, to really enter into the 21st century. We, we, we are being thrown back into the 20th, if not even the 19th century through, through war. Now, um, again, climate change is the, is the, is the bigger issue, I, I would say. We are, seeing, we are seeing droughts, we are seeing floodings. That is, that is very problematic. And, and yet another one where you can always ask, is it the solution or is it the problem is, I would say, globalization, we're seeing the overarching consequences of globalization to not being independent any longer as countries in our food supply systems. And if then problems arise, immediately we will have problems with food security. So, so I would say if you're asking me what are the causes for, for global food insecurity issues, it is it is well it is always poverty it is war it is climate change and and to some extent the consequences of globalization so many factors and i hadn't even thought about globalization in that mix is there any good news amongst all of this is there any good news amongst all of this i think globalization in principle if if it's done well and if there's no wars can be very useful and can be very good and keep in mind we have been globalizing ourselves Throughout the 90s, uh, we are working on globalization for about, or globalization is taking place, and that's my very personal view, for at least 40 to 50 years. It's nothing, nothing that just happened overnight. And what we uh, have seen, um, what we have seen with regard to food security is that, that the number of people suffering from hunger actually went down in the early 2000s, I think we were below 800 million. Uh, just to see that now we're coming uh, back to being above 800 million people. So we're, we're talking uh, uh, I, uh, about two, well, 
I'm, I'm not quite sure. It's, I think we're somewhere 820 to 850 million people that go to sleep at night hungry. Uh, and that is not good. And we were already much, much better. But again, we were better at a time when globalization already sort of had kicked off. Yes. And it's just complex, complex relationships. It is so sad to think that so many people are struggling with food, especially in such a wealthy country like Australia. But even in Australia, people suffer from food insecurity, right? Yes. And um, here is now another interesting factor coming into the game, which is which is the availability and of food, which, which basically is food security, but which is which is linked with it with the purchasing power. We have we have food on this planet in principle uh, for everybody. We are having a, a massive food waste problem, and I'm happy to talk about food waste. Yes, please. <laughs> but purchasing power is is equally important. You need to be able to to buy your food, and if you have good food, you will be uh, able to work, and you will then be able to create purchasing power so that you can purchase food and nourish yourself well. It's an a hen and chicken and an egg question, but there has got to be some purchasing power to begin with, like there has to be some food to begin with. But this is important. And if you're asking me about Australia, and I'm new to the country, I, I came only in 2019. I think we are much better off in many ways here. Um, and Australia is a huge exporter of agricultural goods much more than than we're importing so so this is is all good but but of course we have low income groups in australia and of course we also have poor people in australia uh, who might indeed struggle to nourish themselves in a meaningful and and healthy way and that is that is a problem but but again i think uh, looking at the australian situation we are, we are much better off than than many other countries on this planet because we are far away. We're having a healthy agriculture. We are having a sort of strong and traditional agriculture on top of that. And we're, we're, we're big exporters. So that's always, that's always a good sign. Yes. Well, I'm glad that there are some positives in terms of Australia's food security situation. And you mentioned food waste. So I want to go back and talk about food waste because I know this is also something that you are very passionate about, as am I. So let's talk about how big a problem is food waste globally and how big a problem is it in Australia? Number one, I, uh, in preparing myself, have seen that you had, that you had uh, Ronnie Khan on the podcast and, and without a doubt, Ronnie Khan is the undisputed, undisputed superhero in fighting food waste in Australia through Oz Harvest. So, so that, that is great and I can only learn from, from Ronnie. 30% of all food is wasted across the entire value chain in our food systems. So what that means is food is being wasted at the agricultural sector, at the agricultural level, in the, in the um, uh, factory farming level, if we are looking at, at uh, livestock. Food is being wasted uh, at the processing industrial level. Food is being wasted at the, at the storage and, and uh, distribution levels. Food is being wasted uh, uh, at consumers at home, and food is being wasted in restaurants, making making this this really scary number of thirty percent worldwide. And that is that is not good. We need to we need to clearly reduce that number. As I said, there are many many efforts underway, 
and we should talk maybe about SDGs as well. And I'm happy to do that. Um, but we need to reduce this number. And I think it's a challenge for each and everybody. It's not just playing the blame game and putting the finger on people and say, you are wasting food. We all need to see how we can reduce our food waste. And organizations and institutions need to do that as well. And we need to try, well, frugal is already, uh, and frugalista then, I guess, is uh, going exactly in that direction, is, uh, is, is one, one sort of behavioral attitude you might want to think of. And we, we need to implement our SDGs. Now, the SDGs uh, clearly have, have a focus on all of the problems we are talking about and more. So, so these are the UN Sustainable Development Goals, right, for those people who, who yeah. might not be familiar with the SDGs. The SDGs are the UN Sustainable Development Goals. They, goals, they uh, originated from the MDGs, which were sort of still a bit fluffy in their explicit spelling of what needs to be done. Um, the, the, the UN SDGs are very clear. Number one is no poverty. Number two is no hunger. And then it, it goes on with very clear goals which need to be uh, achieved uh, by 2030. So, so um, when we're talking about food waste, or, or let me put that in another way, if you are looking at the UN SDGs and if we manage to get them all implemented, we will not only eliminate hunger, we will eliminate food waste and we will, we will provide for sustained food security. And, and you see already that all of these things are really intertwined and interconnected. They are, and I guess, too, all interconnected back with things like climate change, too, and gender equality and a whole range of different things. They all link together, don't they? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so what you can say, and I have said it already, is it's then also about health. It's about individual, personal health. It's about planetary health, and it's about economic health. So three different levels of health. And if you're thinking of a, of a coffee house table with three legs, it always stands stable and it will never wiggle or shake. But, but the, the point is that only if you are well nourished, you can drive a healthy economy, uh, uh, which then eventually will give you time and, and liberty to think about also healthy environment and a healthy planet. You can then, in, in turn, nourish yourself again in a healthy way. If any of this interaction is broken, you, you are putting yourself onto a downward spiral because, because you are not food secure any longer. And then, and then uh, you will not take care of the planet and you will not take care of a healthy economy. All interrelated. Now, I have yes. one final question for you, which is I know you've done a lot of research about food waste, food security, and all your research background in terms of all the amazing things that I can't even articulate as we end this podcast. But do you personally have a Frugalista tip to share? Nothing very original. Um, (laughs) My Frugalista tip is really not original, uh, uh, and I don't know about your your listeners. So, uh, But I started cooking, and that that was because of COVID. So I can only advise, um, and here especially in in Australia. So, So what happened was, I moved here in 2018 and my whole family was supposed to be with me right from the start. And, and then for a number of reasons related to the studies of our son and the work of my wife, 
I ended up being here and also the relocation of all of our goods from Switzerland to Sydney, this initial original plan uh, fell apart very quickly in March 2020 already. So I, I was here, I was here alone and I could not go to restaurants because they were also closed. So I started cooking. Believe it or not, uh, that is. That, I'm sort of so, laughing here because you're, you know, a food security expert <laughs> now learning to cook in go, Australia. There you go. I started cooking. Uh, that is usually taken care of uh, in in our family, not by me. Um, and and uh, I also could not go to restaurants. So so um, that was that was a very I think frugal, uh, but also also. Um, uh, shareable uh, innovation in my life or, or well I always knew to cook pasta just to put that on a certain level I always knew to cook pasta I always knew to put the pizza in the oven but to make things a little bit more refined turned out to be attainable and doable and actually fun and I would say also a, a healthy and, and frugal experience to do. Well thank you so much for sharing and look I hear you I think being able to cook at home is one of the best ways to save money. One of those hab- habit things as well. It's all about those daily habits. And you can do all the research about food waste, but you know, when you're actually dealing with it in the home, it really brings on a daily basis, it, it must bring it to the fore in a way that you maybe haven't experienced in the laboratory or, or in your research, perhaps, I'm guessing. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so very much for being my guest. It's just truly an honour. We were talking before, I believe this is the first podcast you have got on, which is really an honour for me. And I do hope to have you back. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much for sharing your insights about food security and food waste. Thank you, Serena. The pleasure was all mine. Thanks. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley.
wake up to your face each day, and my promise.